You know, it's interesting when we think about the power of a, of a single word. Um, I don't know whether you're into classic movies or not, uh, but that is something that, uh, that I've always been. Uh, I think it comes from my father who would never watch TV that wasn't black and white. You know, we had a color TV, but uh, he loved all the black and white stuff. Uh, and uh, so it just sort of engendered in me a love for, for old movies and old television shows. Uh, but one of the, the most critically acclaimed movies of all time, as a matter of fact, you'll find it uh, at or near the top of AFI's top 100 movies of all time, is uh, an odd movie uh, by Wells called, uh, you know, called uh, Citizen Kane. Now, Citizen Kane, truthfully, I don't know that it deserves the top spot. I'm a big, I root for Casablanca as the top movie of all time. But, but uh, people, critics love Citizen Kane. And uh, the fascinating thing about Citizen Kane is it's uh, a look at this fictional character uh, that, that looks an awful lot like the, the media uh, billionaire uh, uh, Hearst uh, who was out in California uh, but nonetheless, the movie starts with one single word. It is the word of a man on his deathbed, and he utters the word rosebud. Rosebud. And the whole movie is basically telling the story of this man's life so we can figure out uh, what rosebud uh, really meant. Without giving a spoiler, uh, it's what gave him joy and a life that often uh, was devoid of it. So I'm not giving away the, 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 the very shallow thing that Rosebud is. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that's what, a single word, a word that, that represents so much. But you see the words that we use day in and day out represent so much about our own lives. Jesus says that it's out of our heart that our mouth speaks, which is very discouraging. You know, because whenever I really stop and consider the words that have been coming out of my mouth, and as an extreme extrovert, they are many, uh, they often don't reflect very well on the state of my heart. And so I want us to consider what the Proverbs teach uh, in the area of uh, the use of our tongue. Now, uh, we're going to do that uh, by looking at a passage of Scripture that we have here uh, for you in the, in the bulletin. Uh, verse 11 through 21 we'll be reading, and uh, I want you to listen. Now, this isn't the only text we'll consider. We're going to be looking at, at passages all throughout Proverbs, trying to, to get a handle around the big themes of uh, how we use our tongue or how we speak, uh, so that we might be encouraged. And you may say, well, what good is it to look at all these things that I fail at? Because it gives us an opportunity to, to find all the ways that we can continue to trust the Lord. Uh, and, uh, and so we're going to do that. Let's read from Proverbs 10, verse 11 through 21 uh, together. Hear God's word. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, 
The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteousness, righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of sense. Since the reading of our uh, text this morning, we will be looking all over Proverbs, but as we enter in our time of God's words, let's ask that God will bless us as we study it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for your word. As we come to your word, whether it is the sayings of wisdom here in Proverbs or any other part of your word, they are your words that have been given to us uh, so that we might know you better, so that we might honor you more, and Lord, that we might grow up and become more like Jesus. I pray that you will use these words in that way this morning. I pray that your spirit will teach, enlighten, encourage, and transform. And I pray that your spirit will help me use my words to speak your word in a way that brings you glory and brings your people uh, edification, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we uh, look at this this morning, we're going to look at uh, three categories uh, that are shown here in this text, but shown around Proverbs. One is the importance of our words. The importance of our words. Secondly, uh, the limitation of our words. Uh, for, for some of us, we don't think there is a limit uh, to our words. And third is a stewardship of our words. Uh, so the importance of our words, the limitation of our words, and the stewardship of our words. When I think about the importance of our words, we really see that in the first verse in this text, don't we? Uh, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals uh, violence. How important is that? That's fascinating that the writer here uh, reaches not to something uh, that uh, he has experience with in the sense of, uh, he doesn't say it's like an apple tree, it's like a pear tree, it's like a peach tree. He says it is a fountain of life. Now, using that expression, he really is kind of reaching back to the story of the beginning of the world and where man and God lived in perfect harmony with one another and human beings lived in perfect harmony with each other. And in the middle of that garden, there was a tree of life. And here he says, in, in a way that reflects that life-giving tree, the words of the righteous uh, can be a fountain of life. So words are important. They can be the bearer of life uh, for others. We see that uh, in Chapter 15, verse 4, very similar expression. Uh, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You know, it is amazing for all the damage words can do. They also are important because of all of the good that they can bring. I mean, think back in your own life about a time that you needed the right word. 
and someone was there to give it. Maybe it goes back to your childhood. I, I can still remember comforting words from my mom and my dad, you know, when I would be injured or when I would be scared or when I, I didn't feel well. And they would come, and it was often then that I knew the most about my parents' love because they would give soothing, comforting, encouraging words that reminded me that all would be okay. These are words that are so important. Why? Because they, they bring life with it. But if they are a fountain of life, they can also be potentially dangerous. They're important because they don't. Wouldn't it be great if words were always a fountain of life? The more words you heard, the more encouraged you were. But we know that's not true. You see, words have the potential for life, but they also have the potential for damage. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 18, verse 21, we read, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That, that's a strong statement. So our words can bring life to someone, you know, giving that word of encouragement or care or comfort, but they can also bring death. I, if you can't remember a time in your, in your upbringing where you received words of comfort, I guarantee you can remember when you received words of death. Words that came and cut you to the quick. Words that shamed you, made you feel smaller. Words like, you know, you will never get it. You know, words like, you don't measure up. You know, you're slack. You're a quitter. You know, you'll never amount to much. Those kinds of words, and I pray that none of you have ever heard those kinds of words. I pray that you lived in a world where words were always life-giving. But I lived in a world called the real world where words were not always kind. And sometimes they were uttered by people at school, and sometimes they would be uttered by people that we just hung out with in the neighborhood, but sometimes they were spoken by the same people who gave words of life, people that you're in your family or you care about. And the more you look to a person to bring life, the more those dangerous words cut. Isn't that right? You know, when a stranger says something rude to you, it ruffles you. When someone you care about deeply and love says those same words to you, you can't forget them. And so these words are dangerous. And I don't bring this up just because we're the receiver of words, but because we are the dispenser of them as well. Think about it. I've talked about when you have heard words of life and when you have heard words that were dangerous or, or that brought death into your heart. What about when you were the one speaking them? I still have so many keen memories of words I wish I could take back. None more than to my own wife or children. You know, but I have some that go back 40 years. You know, and we think, how could I have said such a thing? Jesus tells me, because out of my heart, my mouth speaks. And when death is reigning in my heart, my mouth speaks words of death. When life is reigning in my heart, I speak words of life but they can bring encouragement, can't they? These words can bring encouragement. 
We see that here in verse 21. I love the words, the lips of the righteous feed many. Now, it's not clear whether Solomon means here uh, that uh, the words provide for a structure in which food can be produced. I don't think he means that. I think he means this metaphorically. You know, where he's saying that your words can be like food to someone. Something that sustains them, that keeps them moving. We all know the power of that. You know, years and years ago when I was young and could run uh, a couple of miles, uh, I was in a program uh, where they said that they, they got this group of people together and they were trying to bond us as a group. And they said, we want you to go out and we want you to run this two-mile course and we want you to run it because there's a time you have to get in order to, to move on to the next level. And, uh, and so, you know, we all, being young, young people, we all went out and just ran the best we could, as fast as we could. And when we crossed the line, we collapsed. And what was fascinating is that when we just collapsed by the side of the finish line, we got yelled at, fussed at, whatever you want to think about it as. And it was because they expected us to go back and help everybody else who hadn't gotten across the line get across. That it wasn't just about us, that we were supposed to give words that gave them the strength to continue in the course. And isn't that, isn't that what this means? That our words can be food to people? In other words, it's just what they need. You can do it. That's why whenever you see a marathon, uh, there are way more people watching marathons because they're the smart ones than there are running the marathons. And what are they doing? You can do it. And they lie a little bit. You're looking good. At mile 12, that is not true. I mean, out of the 10,000 people running the marathon, there is one that looks good at mile 12. Uh, the rest of them look like a sweaty mess. And, uh, but they can be food for us. Uh, chapter 12, uh, the second part of uh, chapter 12, 18 says, the tongue of the wise can bring healing. So if food is an encouragement, how about healing? Something when you feel wounded or broken and someone brings words that somehow makes it feel better. They make it feel, feel, feel like it, it, could, it could be better. Or we see in uh, chapter 16, verse 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You know, I can tell you as a, a, a parent who has children spread out around the country, that whenever I, I uh, get a phone call or we have FaceTime with one of my children, and it's a good, positive, upbeat phone call, I feel better at the end of the phone call uh, than I did before. Why? Because I, I had the opportunity to talk to them. And that's true of an old friend. It's true of someone you care about. When you have the opportunity to hear them and they speak words of life to you, then it actually makes you feel healthier. It's actually one of my concerns about the pandemic, to be honest with you, is that there are many people who are sick and normally, when people are sick, people can come and comfort them. And that actually assists in healing. Duke uh, uh, Medical School actually did a study several years ago uh, where they examined whether or not the visits and prayers of chaplains enabled people statistically to heal faster. And you know what? It, it did. That people being visited and prayed for and encouraged, it actually was healing to them. I don't understand how all this works. They don't understand how it works, but it works because weirdly enough, we're whole people. 
we're not just chemistry or we're not just biology. We're also soul, you know, and spirit. And so our words can be used to bring healing, health to the body. Uh, they can bring encouragement straight up. Uh, chapter 12, verse 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Isn't that, isn't that right? You know, I can't tell you. It just happened last night. I was, uh, I was feeling poorly uh, emotionally, and, and uh, I, I talked to Karen about it. And uh, she said, you know, she had been pestering me all day, truthfully. Is something wrong? You know, how are you doing? Are you feeling okay? And I, you know, I did, we did it. This is the game we play at my house. You know, it's like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. We'll do that all day. It has to be at least 11 o'clock at night uh, before we're willing to come clean with how we're really doing. And so I came clean about, about how I was feeling and the negative emotions that I was sort of letting, you know, kind of like the, the dryer, you know, they were just tumbling around in my heart. And, you know, afterwards, I'm like, you know, nothing has changed circumstantially, except I feel better that my wife used words to talk to me in that situation. They were encouraging whenever I felt uh, weighed down. They lifted the burden. And that's why talking to someone is important. Right? We've realized even in our world, healthcare companies have realized we need to put something right on the front page of our website to tell people if you need to talk to someone, talk to someone, not, not to a doctor, but just to someone who can help you with the anxieties that this current situation is bringing. They, they have numbers for you to call. Now, I don't know whether they'd be helpful. I haven't called the number yet. I will look them up eventually, but I have not called them yet. But I'm sure they're speaking words of encouragement. But our words can also bring discouragement, can't they? And I know we're very familiar with that. That's why I'm focusing on what they can do, right? But they can bring discouragement. The first part of chapter 12, verse 18, uh, I gave you part B. Part B was the tongue of the wise brings healing. The first part of that verse says, the one who's rash, the one, there is one, I will read it slowly. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. Rash words like sword thrust. I like that. That's a very graphic way of saying words can cut. They can cut and they can discourage. You can be feeling okay. You can be feeling like you're on the top of the world. And a few rash words just will dice that up, right? And I know that's been done to us, but we do it to others as well, don't we? We do it. Now, I know that there are two kinds of people sitting in this room broadly. There are extroverts and introverts. And I've always suspected, I don't know, because I, I don't have one in my family. I have one that claims to be an introvert, but I, I, I really don't buy that altogether. Uh, but uh, I don't know whether introverts are less prone to these kinds of sins. I kind of suspect they're not. Uh, because when our heart is in a bad place, even if I'm an introvert, when I allow the few words I might speak in a conversation to be negative, they cut worse than some blabbermouth who inserts the same number of words. So maybe we should think about it as the proportion of our words. You know, you know, we could all come up with that zinger, you know, that cuts and discourages. And the problem is, even though it comes out of the mouth in a second 
or maybe a second and a half, or if we're really on a roll, five seconds. It's remembered and felt for a long time until God gives grace for healing. And so the Proverbs want us to understand, use our tongue wisely because it's important. The way you use your tongue is important. But secondly, there are limitations to our words. Now, I don't mean word count, uh, because as far as I can tell in my 30 years of marriage to my wife, there is no limitation to how many words you can say. Uh, my wife and I continue to push the bounds of this, uh, you know, every day. Uh, you know, I remember hearing, uh, I think it was on some radio program years ago, that the average man uses about 12,000 words a day. I don't know whether this is true. I just heard it, and so therefore, as a preacher, I feel obligated to repeat it, you know. The average man has about 12,000 words a day. The average woman has about 24,000 words a day. My wife and I both are in the 48 to 50,000 words a day category. And uh, we, we sometimes pause to listen to the other one. Uh, but uh, we think the more we talk, uh, the more we accomplish. But there are limitations of our words. And uh, the text is helpful. In verse 18, for instance, uh, there is a limitation uh, to the one who conceals hatred, uh, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. What, is, what does this mean? Why would I call this a limitation? Well, the limitation of our lips is just because we say it doesn't make it true. That our lips can say things that aren't true. Now, I know. I, I don't want to be political or anything like that. But we live in a world where people don't believe this anymore. We genuinely believe in our current cultural context that if I say it, it's true. In other words, it used to be, I think, therefore I am, you know, and now we simply believe I said it, therefore it is, you know. And of course, that's just nonsense because no matter how big I am or strong I am or smart I am or educated I am or rich I am, my words don't make falsehood true. Truth is truth. And falsehood is falsehood, and my words can't change it from one to the other. And so this is a limitation. Uh, we see that, for instance, in chapter 12, verse 19. And I know I'm giving these, these verses very quickly. If you want them later, you can ask me. I'll give you the list of the verses we refer to. I had pages. The Proverbs talks about how we speak a lot, uh, just as a side note. Uh, uh, in 12:19 it says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for a moment. You know, in other words, why does it say that, uh, that it's for a moment? You know, well, it's, it's because it's not there. It's, it's talking in a way that is talking about non-reality rather than reality. When we lie, we are talking about what isn't. It just isn't. And the more I talk about it, it doesn't make it something. And so it just, it's ephemeral. You know, or chapter 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. That's uh, 12, 22. Uh, they are offensive to God. Now, this word an abomination is a strong, I think it's about the strongest word that you can find in the Bible. You know, I, I don't know what your strongest word is, you know, what's allowed at your house. You know, uh, at my house, you know, I remember when my children were small, you know, the word, there were words you could not use, right? And one of them was shut up. 
You know, now even when I say that, you probably feel offended. And you're like, I wasn't even talking. Why is he telling? Well, anyway, if you haven't been listening, you're like, why is he telling me to shut up? I, anyway, well, we would not allow that. Of course, Karen and I say it to each other, uh, you know, but uh, not very often because that would be trouble. That would make it a 80,000 word day uh, overall. But um, you, uh, you, you say shut up. And so when my children were small, they thought, well, that's the word we don't use. And if that's a word you don't use in your house, you can explain why your pastor was using bad words at church when you get home. So anyway, when our kids were small, I remember uh, my daughter came home. She had ridden the bus. Now, we let her ride the bus when she was small because all the neighborhood kids rode the bus, and the school was just far enough for the school district to provide the bus. It was, uh, I think it was 1.9 miles or something like that. I mean, it was so close. You could see the bus almost the whole way from school down to our neighborhood. So we felt like that was okay. But she got home one day, and she was crying. And, she, and we were like, why are you crying? Was it a bad day at school? No, it was a fine day at school. You know, uh, did somebody bully you or did you get hurt? No, I'm fine. You know, somebody said a bad word on the bus. You know, and I'm like, I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm not telling you how, how you should teach or raise children. You know, in my house, we taught our children that words are just words and we can depower them uh, by understanding what they are, what they mean, and what the appropriate use of them is, you know. And there, there is, I'm pretty sure there's an appropriate use for almost every word, maybe one exception. But nonetheless, you know, so they come home, and, and she's just crying. She's so small, and they said the bad word. I'm like, well, you need to tell me what it is, you know, because we don't need this. We don't need you being overwhelmed by this word. We need to free you from this word. And, uh, and I'm like, what does it begin with? Thankfully, she was old enough to know her letters. And she said, S. And I'm like, wow, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for like a first grader to get, the S word. I'm like, really? Okay. I, but I wanted to be clear because I'm not stupid. You know, I'm like, just say the word. It's perfectly okay. Your mom and your dad, no matter what word it is, we've heard it. It's fine. The word, I just need to know. Let's talk about it. Shut up. You know, and I'm like, I just started laughing. You know, we're like, you know, uh, the F word was also there, heart. But, you know, so we had such a great, that now I'm going to have to rate the podcast like PG-17 or something like that. But uh, nonetheless, you know, it was great fun. Why? Because, because my, my daughter was dealing with these words that were, that she was trying to figure out what it was. It, you know, now, of course, those words weren't an abomination. You know, they weren't the abomination words. But why is lying an abomination to God? Because God is truth. God is truth. You know, we live in a world where there are no absolutes because people don't believe in God. God is the absolute. And truth is derived from the character and nature of God himself. So things can't just be true because I say it's true, because there is an objective standard, and it is God himself. And so when untruth, that which purports to be true but is not true, comes before the Lord, it is a complete dissonance. It doesn't belong there. It's out of place there. And so therefore, it's an abomination. But notice, he says, those who act faithfully, in other words, those who act in a way that conforms to the character and nature of God, they are a delight 
There is delight. Now, it's hard to think about God delighting, but God's like, yes, that, con that conforms with reality as it is. So our words cannot make what is false true. But this is also helpful for those of you who work with children uh, or ever around children or, or have had children. Uh, you cannot make someone listen by how many words you give. Now, I know no parent genuinely believes this. You know, no parent genuinely believes this, right? But the Proverbs 23 verse 9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. In other words, there's a time where you need to stop talking. And I'm not calling any of your children fools or any of the children you work with. I'm not suggesting. But what he's saying is, look, by talking more, you can't make them believe what you say. You can't make them understand it. You know, and that is something that's so important. Because sometimes I think if I just talk enough at it, it will change. And that, if that were true, every congregation I've ever served would be perfect and exactly like Jesus. I might be, you know, right? If, if just by talking at someone, you know, that they, they, they conform to whatever it was I was saying, there are times, and I'm not saying it's often, that we need to accept that our words just can't change a situation. And that's a, that's a limitation of words. And that's helpful for us because it's humbling. We're like, well, Lord, you can change, but my words can't change uh, this person or this situation, uh, which is helpful. Which brings us to stewardship of words. A stewardship of words. Now, whether or not I have been using my words wisely so far uh, or been stewarding them very well, I think stewardship of words is something the Proverbs talk uh, a lot about. For instance, we see it in verse 20 here. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Here it's talking about value. He's saying there is a value to our words. You know, the words of the one who uses their tongue in a righteous way, uh, that is a way that conforms with, with uh, the standards that God gives, uh, he says is choice silver. They're valuable. Our words are valuable. Now, if God gives us something valuable, we steward it. We steward it. We use it in a way that honors him. Uh, if it's our, our stuff, we steward it. If it's our wealth, we steward it. If it's our time, we steward it. Our gifts, we steward it. Our words, he says, steward your words. Steward your words. Uh, why? Uh, well, there are lots of reasons. One, because they need to be used appropriately. They need to be used appropriately. In uh, chapter 25, verse 11 and 12, uh, this uh, talk about the value and using it appropriately. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. I love that expression, a word fitly spoken. That means a word that's appropriate for the situation. If it's fitly, it doesn't mean something that's in good shape. You know, it's not referring to words that have bolted up at the gym. It means a word that is spoken just the word that's needed. And that means I'm thinking. And I'm thinking about the words I have, and I'm thinking about how they apply to the particular situation. Now, confession time, I am not awesome at this. I, that's a, if I ever say I'm not awesome, it means I'm bad at it. You know, that's just my ego preventing me from being truly honest. You know, because 
my mouth starts talking often before my brain is fully in gear, right? You know, I, I am definitely a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. Uh, but the proverb says that's not the kind of guy you want to be. The kind of guy you want to be is the person who thinks, what is the right word in this situation? You know, it's interesting when I've been around people, and one of my mentors was one of the best people at this that I've ever met, uh, who, when I ask a question, they, hmm. And which makes me very, this makes me very uncomfortable. Does it make you uncomfortable? Hmm. I'm thinking, was that a stupid question? And it's not that it was necessarily a stupid question, but they're thinking about the right answer to give. That's good, not bad. Because giving an apt answer shows the value of words. Notice what he says. It's like a gold apple with a setting of silver. That's the best. I guess that's the best. I mean, if somebody gave me a gold apple, solid gold apple set in silver, I'd say, now that has value. Exactly. And a word that's thoughtful and spoken that's appropriate to the moment has value. How about when someone's upset? Chapter 15, um, first part of chapter 15.1, 15.1a, if you're writing it down, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, that's an appropriate word. Now, let's be honest. When we're in a heated exchange, is a soft answer our go-to, right? You know, someone gets in our face, and usually it's someone we know, work with, live with, care about, something like that. Because who else would get in our face? When strangers get in your face, you're just like, whoa, weirdo, right? You know, usually it's somebody you know, and they get all up in your business, and they are getting hot with you, they're mad about something. You know, what's our usual go-to? You know, that's where we show our Wild West, you know, gunslinging skills. You know, it's like how fast. And we even think about it. This is the way we normally are. We drive away from the encounter, and we're like, this is what I should have said. And we think about the perfect zinger, right? The proverb is like, that's not stewarding your words. Stewarding your words in that situation, you know, means that I give a soft answer. And you say, I can't do that. I'm like, I know you can't. But the Holy Spirit does. And as we depend on him, which applies to all of these things, by the way, you know, he enables us. So it's never bad to use that pause to say, Lord, help me answer correctly right? So that we can give the soft answer. Chapter 15, verse 23, to, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season. How good it is. Isn't that great? He's relishing the idea of those words that are just the right word. Words stewarded in a way that are appropriate. But of course, they can be inappropriate. Uh, if we look just in our own text in chapter 10, verse uh, the second part of 10, 13, uh, a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense, you know. Now, <laughs> thankfully, rods aren't coming out usually whenever we're in a conversation. Let's hope not anyway. But what this means is negative re uh, ramifications come out when we use words inappropriately. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies, and I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't put it up at the top, top of the list for AFI, 
but one of my favorite movies, before they showed it all day long on Christmas Eve, is The Christmas Story. I saw that my senior year in high school and uh, at a theater, a real theater. Remember those? And uh, I, I saw it, and I remember, I remember the whole scene about the word that must not be said, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and he ends up with the soap in his mouth, you know, and, and he's like, life boy, you know, and I, I love that. That just makes me laugh so much, you know, because it reflects a little bit of my own reality here and there. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, it, and he, he even went so far as to say, you know, he begins to fantasize, you know, about the effects of Life Boy soap causing him blindness and being able to rub it in his parents' faces, you know. It's Life Boy, you know, I mean, that's what caused him to go blind. And I love it because I, I did that as a kid. I'm like, they'll see, they'll see this harsh treatment will turn back on them. And uh, it does in podcasts week in and week out. But <laughs> nonetheless, you know, it is these words that are uh, the, the words they bring a rod. In other words, are negative consequences. Maybe it's soap in the mouth. Maybe it's losing an opportunity to advance at work. Maybe it's losing a, the chance to be in a better relationship with someone. In other words, when we steward our words, we have many more opportunities. Uh, in uh, chapter 15, uh, one, the second part, the first part was a soft answer turns away wrath. The second part of that verse says, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In other words, our words can diffuse a situation or they can just pour charcoal lighter on a fire and really bring it up to blaze. Uh, another example of an inappropriate word is found in chapter 18, verse 6 and 7. It says, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. I'm sorry, I could not do this sermon without that verse. Because I'm like, I feel like this is every teenage boy I have ever encountered since I was a teenage boy, right? You know, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. That's my story. You know, you know, uh, it's, uh, if I sing, you know, the old Sinatra, Sinatra song, I did it my way. That's the story of my childhood. You know, my lips constantly walked into fights and invited a beating. And my older brother was more than glad to provide uh, that for me. You know, and you sit there and think, yeah, that's right. Our words have negative implications when we don't steward them appropriately, when we steward them inappropriately. Um, but we need to use our words back to the positive judiciously. Judiciously. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, uh, chapter, uh, in the chapter we're in, chapter 10, verse 19, it says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In other words, when you restrain your lips, you have wisdom. Prudent means you're thinking about life and the future. You're considering everything. Uh, president, uh, the first President Bush was known for saying that just wouldn't be prudent, and comedians mocked him. But the point is, we should be thinking what's prudent, what's wise, what's considerate in this particular situation. When we keep our tongue, that means we don't talk, you know, then we are being prudent. You know, it says in chapter 17, uh, verse 27 through 28, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. 
even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I got to tell you, as an extrovert, I've often been envious of those people, you know? And I'm like, wait a second, what do they think they're so smart? They never say anything. Well, that's exactly why they think they're so smart. They look nice. They, you know, they sit there at the table. They nod their head at the appropriate moment, you know, and then I'll talk to them casually offline. And I'm like, they're idiots, which of course is an example of me using my words. But they, they get the promotion. They get the opportunity. And you're sitting there thinking, what's up? And I know the answer. The answer was given to me actually on a job review in one of my first ministry jobs just up the road here when my, my supervisor actually said, smart aleck is not a spiritual gift. And I think that was a not so subtle way of saying maybe keeping your mouth closed would be more judicious uh, than keeping your mouth running all the time. When here we are. So, um, or to put it more bluntly, you know, Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I can only look at that and say, I might have. I might have. Why? Because the Spirit is often not controlling my tongue and the judicious use of it. And I end up in trouble. Why? Because I was not listening to this wisdom. But we, because we're hearing this wisdom, have the opportunity to say, well, Lord, help me to use uh, the grace and the spirit that you've given me, use my words in a judicious manner. Because there, of course, is the thoughtlessly, uh, and we've already read verse 19 from our text, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But, uh, you know, in other words, the more we talk, the Proverbs are saying the more we tend to sin. The more we talk, the more we tend to sin. And uh, that's, of course, not good. Chapter 29, verse 20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, I know you're like, that doesn't sound so bad. More hope for a fool than him. But remember, fool is the worst you can be in the book of Proverbs. He's like the hasty, the person who can't control his tongue is worse than the worst, is what, uh, is what it's saying. Or, or lastly, chapter 13, verse 3, says whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. It seems like the Proverbs has a, have a theme, you know, right? The words are important, you know, that there are limitations of our words, but that there is also a stewardship of our words. But I don't want us to leave it completely there because there are words that we receive uh, that are incredibly important. I have been told as a child that I love the sound of my own voice. And while that was and may be true, there is another voice that I need to develop a keen ear for. And of course, it is the voice of Jesus himself. Notice what Jesus says about his own words. His own words. Um, he says, one, verse, uh, John chapter 14 uh, verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If we, if we listen to the word of Jesus and we keep it, then we enjoy fellowship with God. That he, we will enjoy his love. 
He will come and live with us. Why? Because we've listened to His words instead of listening to our own words resounding in our own intellect. Or what He says in John chapter 5, uh, verse 47, uh, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Those are good words for those of us who use our words in inappropriate ways, isn't it? You see, for all the words we speak that get us into trouble, or that reveal the sin in our own heart. Jesus says it's by listening to words that you will find freedom and you will find deliverance. We will never be able to talk our way into a right relationship with God, but we can listen our way into one by listening to the words of Jesus. And and what does that mean? Does that mean just listen to his teaching? No. It means listen to what he says about himself. That he is the bread of life. That he is the light of the world. That he brings blessing in himself. That he is the truth and the life. That in him is eternal life. By believing him and listening to these words, then we enjoy eternal life. We don't receive what we deserve for those uh, injudicious words. And this is the hope of the gospel. You see, I don't, I don't know how people in the first century BC read the book of Proverbs without despairing. I really don't. I think that's why we have Ecclesiastes, to be honest with you, uh, because it kind of gives the other side of the coin that all of this wisdom, true as it is, without external hope and help, is discouraging. But we can listen to it because we're ones who've heard the words of Jesus. And we know that there is forgiveness for the misuse of our words. And that there is power and presence available to us to enable us to begin using our words in a life-giving way that they truly may be a fountain of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. Pray that you will work in us, Lord, a firm trust and belief in listening to the words of Jesus. May we believe everything he said. May we believe everything he said about himself. And may these things be most precious to us in our hearts. And oh Lord, I pray that even as he promised, which we read, that if we receive his words, that we receive the love of the Father and that you come and make your dwelling with us, O oh Lord, that your power and spirit in us will enable us to be reflected in the way we use our words every day with those around us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.